You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan. It is the bye week blues. This is the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. And the only sad week in the regular season of football is one without Giants football. So here we are in the bye week blues. I am Football Grump. With me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. And I don't think that this was a very... I mean, if all years to not have a blues-worthy bye week, this is really the week for you, huh? Grump, the Gators didn't play, the Giants didn't play, the Cowboys won, and yet this has been my favorite football weekend of the year. And why is it, you may be asking, in a season when are looking at one of the worst, you know, the best draft picks of the year and everything has gone wrong, it's because we are not going to be under the yoke of a potential three-time Georgia National Championship or the specter of a potential Florida State one. And I am ready to discuss the, not necessarily the wisdom of the college football playoff committee, but their logic and why they did exactly what they said they were going to do. So this is not going to be just a college football episode by any means, but I did want to talk about that because I do think it's interesting. I think it's the last year that we're going to have a four-team playoff in college football. And this is definitely as far as my less involved eyes can remember the most contentious i think the four team selection is but before we get into all that during this just giants bye week blues i will be drinking beer from the local brewery oak flower brewing and i have not had this yet and it is big foamy this is big foamy. Yeah, this is very delicious looking. See, the the problem is when I owned the Gainesville House of Beer. My problem was I didn't know how to pour beer, so I gave everybody a foamy beer. But that was just me because I'm incompetent. That is true. Cranky owned a bar in Gainesville, Florida, for quite a while, and I think that I might have single handedly put him out of business. But not open anymore. <laughs> um. But Oak Flower Brewing is a small business in New Jersey, so I am giving them a little shout because we are also a small business, and they do a great job with their beer, just like we do a great job with this podcast. So do do us all a favor, uh, crack open an Oak Flower Brewing while telling your friends about Just Giants podcast. Uh, I would appreciate it very much, and I'm sure Oak Flower would like you to buy their beer as well. And uh, I think you would like to buy their beer as well. I would love to buy it. Um, okay, so... The this was a really fun college football championship weekend, and I mean that. Like, I, you know me and the way I watch college football. I watch it honestly the same way I watch like spring football. I'm looking for individual players that are going to make a huge impact in the NFL. The team stuff is cool, but I didn't go to a major college, so I don't really care who wins. I've got a couple of schools I tend to like, but nothing crazy. But first of all, the the Friday game, Washington Oregon, that was a great game predicted by me i i said all year you know there was a bandwagon that oregon may have been the best team in the country and i think everybody overlooked the fact that washington beat them and washington despite you know all of the you know the lull in october november maybe not winning you know beautifully still has a great offense and they beat them and 
you'll have to tell me from your perspective what you thought of Michael Panic and what you think of uh, old man uh, Bo Nix. But uh, I predicted that win, and I feel justified. I have a lot of things I predicted that happened this weekend, but that was the first one. Yeah, um, I'm not going to get into too much of Bo Nix and Michael Panic's in terms of uh, their NFL projection or anything like that. But I will say that they are both two very good college football quarterbacks. That being said, in 2023, it feels like Bo Nix is like 35. Because um, he is. I, I, I've been hearing about this dude since his days at Auburn. In my opinion, he transferred out of the SEC to a weaker Pac-12, and he still can't win. Um I, I don't know. I don't have a super high opinion of Bo Nix, and I, ne- I honestly never really did. Michael Penix, I think, has a very, very fun skill set, especially for college football. How much that translates to the NFL game is changing every single year. If you'd asked me six years ago, I told you there was no shot, um, and now we're seeing Lamar Jackson is one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the league and might be the quarterback of a Super Bowl contender this year. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that is that Caleb Williams never won anything either. So, winning is winning is important, but No, but it's different when you transfer out of the SEC to weaker competition and you're still not winning is different than if you're in a conference and you're winning, you know, whatever. He he, he was Yeah. He moved from an SEC team to what is regarded as one of the best recruiting schools in the Pac-12 yeah, universally but you, and but you still can't win. You can make an argument to the only games that he lost were to a team that, you know, you know, I, I consider almost a peer pretty much of Alabama this year and, and possibly Georgia. That Washington team is really good. So that's okay. the only games they lost. So so Washington for me is in automatically. Um, Absolutely. My biggest question is Texas. Give me – so let, let, let's – I'm not going to go through one by one here. But Alabama yeah. is a one-loss SEC champion. Georgia is a one-loss, not SEC champion. So that's to right. me, that's – Alabama getting in is a no-brainer. Michigan gets in no-brainer. To me, Washington I know is contentious for some people. It's not for me. The biggest question is why Texas and not Georgia? Why Texas, not Ohio State? Why Texas, not Florida State? Give me your thoughts. Okay. I think there's something in there that's overblown is the effect of head-to-head. People just automatically assume, well, Texas beat, uh, Texas beat Bama. They're in. The committee doesn't consider head-to-head that much as the end-all, be-all because unlike the NFL or even, let's say unlike the rest of college, if you're in a college division, you play everybody. So if Georgia beat Florida – Georgia has the tiebreaker, even to determine a division champ in the NFL. You know, the Giants, they play the Eagles, they play the Redskins, they play, you know, uh, the Cowboys. So head-to-head can be factored because everybody plays each other. Alabama did not have to play Texas. Alabama chose to play Texas. College football scheduling is not like the NFL where based upon what division you're in and based upon what – you come in first or second, you are seated to play this team in the other division or other conference. Once you get past your conference schedule, and then once you get past, well, that's my non-conference rival, you can play anybody you want. You can play Southwest Louisiana. You can play Texas. So Bama decided to play Texas. Texas decided to play Bama. While it's a benefit on your resume that you beat Bama, it should not hurt you 
that you lost to Texas when other teams like Florida State or Georgia, they don't they're not playing a comparable playoff contending team to have that loss as a negative on it. So that's why I am not, you know, that's one of the arguments against Texas. But, you know, it comes down to there are five power five conferences. There are four spots. And this is the most important thing you have to realize. And this is the biggest straw argument that Florida State fans are doing and getting wrong. This has got nothing to do with who deserves to be in. It is what the conf- the playoff committee determines are the four best teams right now. And if you don't believe that, the committee chairman last week said it exactly. He said that deserve is not part of the committee's lexicon and will not be considered. It's who the four best teams are. And what the committee did was by factoring in what they've done throughout the year and who they are right now, when you only have four spots for five teams, the team that they felt is the not the best of those five was Florida State, and they were out. I knew this was going to happen. I bet money on it. They had a wager on FanDuel about the different combinations. It was plus 300 for Washington, Michigan, Bama, Texas. I bet it. I won it because the committee told you last week this was going to happen. And if you watched the Florida-Florida State game with their backup quarterback losing in the fourth quarter to a seven-loss team with a third-string quarterback, and then you saw them this week with a third-string quarterback only up by three against a top 13 team, the eye test tells you this is not one of the four best teams in the country. So it sucks for Florida State, but every argument they have, well, we beat this, we beat this, Bama lost to this team, they did this, all irrelevant. It is who the committee thought were the four best teams right now, and sorry, Florida State, you are not one of them. So to you. That is a very, very sound argument. Um it's, I don't. I, I feel. I feel no sympathies. Um, because, I, uh, uh, that's not entirely true. I feel a very small amount of sympathies for the individual players on the teams for Georgia most, Florida, St- uh, Florida State probably second, and Ohio State third. And I, I, and it's very very little. And here's my reasoning. Number one, the NCAA is like the third most corrupt sports league in the world. Uh, it's very obvious that they needed at least, at least an eight-team playoff for a very long time now. So I, I I don't really care that the league dragged their feet. And honestly, it's the powerhouse teams like Ohio State, Georgia, and Florida State that were not really caring that much that it was only a four-team playoff for the most— uh, Let's, for, no, let's no, sell Florida State. No, but no, Georgia no, no, and Ohio State, th- those, those fan bases have not given a shit for the last couple of years that it's only four teams. They were not the loudest complainers. Um, well, they weren't the complainers because they didn't get screwed. Exactly. They, That's I mean, why they, they, they but, didn't get back— Ohio State but, was but, in the exact same position 10 years ago when Cord- Cordell Jones had to play a third-string quarterback, and they very easily could have been in. The right. difference was they won their championship game 59 to nothing over a ranked team, and people said they're still one of the best. Right. That's, yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I feel very little sympathy only because the NCAA is super corrupt. Um, it's fucked up. And, like, any idiot with 
any amount of brain power can look at the amount of money that they could make on a playoff with the March Madness and just the amount of money well, in college football it, in general. It depends on where the money goes. That's the thing. The NCAA doesn't get the money. It's I know that. It's, it, that's not the point. Yeah. The demand yeah. is there. Everybody yeah. wants this. Everybody yeah. wants this. It could have been done a long time ago. So I feel I feel very little sympathies there. I think the biggest sympathies I feel is for Georgia players. Second most Florida State only because if Jordan Travis didn't get hurt and they dominate in the last couple games, they're not losing by a little bit. There's a better shot that they make it in. I've, I have been on the record since, you know, 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock Saturday night. The four best teams with Jordan Travis – and the four most deserving – let me put it this way. The four most deserving teams, if you want to use the deserving team route or the best route, are Washington, Michigan, Bama, Florida State. Those are the four most deserving teams. So, so I feel for the players that are not named Jordan Travis because prior to his injury, there's a really good shot. And, and to be fair – all of those players stepped up to ensure that they didn't lose a single game this year, and they still kind of got hosed. But they didn't. Uh, I, I'm fully okay with this. They, they this is this is the group of four that I actually believed at the end of the night on Saturday night it should have been. So I, I have no qualms with this shit. I, I I don't feel bad for them. Well, first of all, for a fuck them. They decide to go to Florida State, so I have no sympathy for anything they do in their professional life. But b more to the point, they weren't screwed. The committee's mandate is the four best teams. They did not change their mandate. They did not say, oh, well, this year we do this, this year we do this. They were very clear, and they told us last week this is what it is. Right. So it, they're, they're, I, not, they're not screwed, but it definitely sucks the hardest for them. Like I said— They, they played musical chairs, and they didn't have a chair when the music stopped. Yes. It, that, that's really what it is. Um, and if anything, if you're upset by this, it's only illustrative of how badly we needed a 12-team playoff to begin with. So I don't really care. Um, moving on from college football, yesterday was a fun day for, for football. Um, but most interesting, I think, of the entire day uh, is Philly's head of security, Big Dom, being ejected from a football game. Did you see this happen? Were you watching? Okay. All right. Me too. So this is weird because there's really no precedent for this precise altercation. Um, I know some things brought up in the past were um, I would say Giants fans throwing snowballs at Chargers players in the 90s is somewhat relevant. The Jets' assistant coach that tripped a player running down the sideline is somewhat relevant. And I think there was, like, one other thing. Um, to me, well, this is very simple. I, I don't think that this is... For, for starters, I don't think you should eject a head of security from a game. Um, I'll, start, I'll start right there. It's an active game. He's in, supposedly doing a job where he is coordinating the security for the stadium. You've got almost 100,000 people there. You don't know what some drunk asshole is going to do. Getting rid of the head of security, to me, seems like just not a smart thing to do. In my opinion, if you're the official... but well, Sorry, I, I guess for anyone who didn't watch the game, a, a skirmish broke out on the Eagles' sideline during a tackle that was questionably out of bounds. It wasn't, but it was close enough where these kinds of skirmishes usually happen. Now you have the Philadelphia Eagles head of security, so not really staff, not a player, 
now putting his hands on a 49ers player who then retaliated. Both were ejected. So uh, uh, Dre Greenlaw was ejected for the 49ers, and Big Dom, head of security for Philadelphia Eagles, was ejected as well. I don't think it's smart to get rid of the head of security in the middle of an active game in Philadelphia of all places. However, I think he deserves a stern talking to immediately where it's like, you need to get as far away from the field as possible. Get all the way up against that wall. And then after the game, I think he deserves to be fired and never work in the NFL again. And that might seem harsh, but there are 32 head of security jobs in the NFL. There are plenty of head of security jobs in the world. He can get another one. But at this point, you can't trust somebody. I'm sorry. You can't put hands on a player. End of story. Full stop. Yeah. um, Before I do my kind of response there, another thing you can put in also is – was it Joe Latham, the the owner of one of the minority owners of the Golden State Warriors, when someone fell out during the finals and he pushed the guy? Yeah, the I, and everything? I was sticking yeah. with football, but yes. Yeah, yeah. So basically, to me, it's very simple. You are not part of the game. You are – I don't care if you are the guy throwing the snowballs in the upper deck or you are a staff guy or you're a camera guy or anything. You are not part of the game. You should not be involved in the game for anything unless something – extracurricular beyond the normal state of affairs happens on the field where you need to go and do something. That was a, even if that was a brawl that broke out, that is not your job of head of security to do. And you know something, and if they, he got thrown out, you can still do 98% of your job sitting in the stands, sitting in the back, sitting in the control room. You have other staff with you to do the job. That's fair. I mean, so to me, it's just like you, no matter how much you want to involve yourself into the action, no matter how angry you were, you do not touch, you do not impact the action within that rectangle that is the field. And to me, I think the NFL did the right thing. I think, I think personally, the broadcast did a bad thing by making the guy a folk hero. His name is not Big Don. His name is Don. When you personify somebody, you make them into a cartoon character, you've made them a folk hero. You've made them a martyr. you made them a victim. That guy will not be able to walk down Market Street tomorrow with a thousand cheese heads wanting to blow him and everything. So you, it's kind of like that in Star Wars. If you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. That's what we did. We made this guy money for doing something that really should cost him his job and a permanent ban from the sidelines. So, that's so, my take. so you don't think that my take is extreme? Not at all. Okay. I, all right. I, I think I think he he went. I think above it's and beyond his job responsibilities. And when you're on the field, to me, that's no different than a streaker going on or something. Right. So here, here's. Here's one thing I've seen is uh, idiots trying to defend him, Googling his responsibilities as protecting the players. That doesn't mean from other football players. That means from assholes in the stands trying to run on the field and and protecting the players in the, like in the tunnels through the locker room from other, like just, you know, deviants, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. It has nothing to do with other football players on the field of play. That is not his responsibility. Do not conflate that. That is very, very silly. You're very stupid. And I'd say the exact same thing if Big Joe was at the Meadowlands. It does not matter. I don't care that that guy was an Eagle guy. I don't care. No, it has nothing to do with that. I don't care that my cranky cranky wife likes the 49ers. That's got nothing to do with it. It's just 
everybody in this world thinks that they are above the rules for everything and think they have to be involved in everything and you know this guy now all of a sudden probably has a social media career and exactly what he dreamed of always doing it was being a star and guess what now he's a star but you know well let me ask you a question if a fan put violent hands on a football player a season ticket holder what happens to their tickets revoked forever exactly so this guy should be held to a higher standard he's somebody who's hired who has to pass background checks sign a bunch of papers uh you know things like that that are uh disclaimers and and job responsibility things he should be held to a higher standard not the same standard and not a lower standard as a season ticket holder so i'm sorry mr big dom whatever whatever your full name actually is i don't care uh you should be the head of security at chase manhattan or something like that not the Philadelphia Eagles, anything affiliated with the NFL. Go stick a cheesesteak up your ass. Moving over to the Giants now. Uh, we're, we're 20 minutes in, so let's let's move to the Giants talk now. So oh, yeah. <laughs> by week stuff, now as we enter into this, the first question that's burning on everybody's mind is Tyrod Taylor has been cleared and designated to return from injured reserve. What do you do, cranky head coach – at quarterback for the remaining five games of the year, I think it is. Do you stick with Tommy DeVito, undrafted free agent, or do you replace him with higher on the depth chart, veteran backup Tyrod Taylor in his last year of his contract with the New York Giants? What do you do and why? And I'll give you my answer after. Coaches are not owners. Coaches are not general managers. Coaches coach. Coaches coach to win. Coaches do not sell tickets. It's not their job that because Tommy DeVito now has become a a cult hero and his ticket and his jersey sales are up 170% and all that nonsense, it's not his job to play him because he's popular and people are rooting for a Rudy type story. His job is to win games. And you know, I got I'm gonna another cranky wife reference. For 24 hours, she was making fun of me because one graphic I think on Fox Sports yesterday had in the hunt on the very bottom the New York Football Giants. So when a coach believes, look, any coach that's worth his salt is not going to give up on a season with six weeks left. He's going to play the best player, and I know Tommy DeVito's from New Jersey. And I know he lives at home, and I know he loves cannolis and whatever stereotypical New Jersey thing you want to put. The facts are the facts. The New York Giants offense is the worst in the league right now. They have the worst passing offense in the league right now. They have the worst scoring in the league right now. As much as I have railed on Tyrod Taylor this year and last year, Tyrod Taylor is better than Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito plays. No question in my mind, no doubt about it. If this wait, team so wait, Tyrod's better, but Tommy plays? No, Tyrod oh. plays. Oh, you did said Tommy. Tommy plays? Yes. Alright, get the editing machine out. I made I did not mean to say that. <laughs> Tyrod plays. No no questions asked, end of discussion, end of story. The only way I would vary on that is if this team was one in ten right now and the decision has been made from up top. We are absolutely 100% drafting a quarterback going forward. Then you would have to really do a sales job on this coaching staff to stay status quo. But that situation is not here. 
they are not going to say for a team that has a snowball's chance in hell of making the playoffs. We're tanking right now for something that seems rather unlikely, even if you execute that tanking plan. So to me, it's Tyrod and we just, we see what happens. It's interesting to me that you have that opinion. Um, I have a different one, but it's not, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think everything you said is actually correct. I, 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 everything from the coach's viewpoint to who is better, all that I agree with. Here's why I think Tommy DeVito should start. And it's, it's actually very simple. It's, a, it's your argument. Tyrod Taylor is returning from injury in which he fell on a ball. Okay? I want you to understand he went on injured reserve because he fell on the ground. I understand. Tyrod Taylor, if he is named the starter, he will get a full week's worth of first-team reps. And then he's going to go out there and throw his body around like he's evil Knievel and get himself knocked the fuck out of the game in the second quarter. And then what do we have but Tommy DeVito, but Tommy DeVito without any reps in practice? I'm sorry. For me, I think your best move going forward has nothing to do with who is better. I think the team together, all together, aggregate, is better. If Tommy DeVito gets all of the first team reps in practice, at least for the first two weeks that Tyrod is back, all of the first team reps, let's get him ready because he's actually 100% healthy. He's not 80% healthy. He's not coming off of IR. He has not had a concussion, fucked up ribs. I, I, how many injuries has Tyrod had just this year alone? I'm so, I, to, me, I, to me, the smartest move is to let the veteran be the one who does not need a ton of reps in practice to be able to come into a game and relieve. You can still pull Tommy DeVito if he's being terrible. If he deserves to be pulled from the game, you now have an actual bat. You don't have not bat Matt Barkley back there. You have Tyrod Taylor. You have the guy that you actually believe is QB2 on your roster to come in there and relieve him and be the veteran guy who can just pick up an offense and go. To me, as an amateur football person, if I'm the coach, that's the smarter way to do this. Because Tyrod Taylor has already proven one thing and one thing only. He will not play safe. Period. That is the one thing for sure you can count on is that he will throw his body around and he gets injured more than most people. Mm -hmm. So to me, the smartest thing to do is to roll with Tommy for at least two more weeks. And I'm not saying you have to stick with him because you decide he's the starter. I'm just saying it's the smarter thing to do because Tyrod is unreliable, unfortunately. But if he goes down... You have Tommy DeVito, and I guess. But you have Tommy DeVito, I, 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 who's an I, I undrafted guy with no reps. Be, but he may not be taking number one reps. But he also has been taking number one reps for the last month. It's better than it was when he first came in with no reps whatsoever. When Daniel Jones got hurt, it will be better than that. But it won't be good. I and think. Also, you yeah. also might kind of. It may not be a traditional. Ones get eighty percent of the reps two gets 50% or 20%. It might be a little more of a blended thing, but I don't know. I, again, well, I mean, the story is wonderful and everything, but, but I'm not picking him for the story. I don't give a shit yeah. about that. I think no, this no, is, no, this no, is, no, is no, a, I don't care about the story. No, me either. Thing and all, but the thing is he is not an NFL quarterback yet. No, and, I, I agree. And, and the stories are funny at best. If right, that, but, 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 but to my, me, my this is, is, this is purely football and health. And preparation. And in all honesty, of these two guys, only one guy is signed through next year. It, 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 
What is the percentage chance that Tyrod Taylor wears a New York Giants helmet in 2024, in your opinion? Is it below 25? Who's that? That Who wears a New York Giants helmet? Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor? Yeah. Zero. Okay. So, I mean, there... You can throw that in there as well. There is at least a ten percent chance that Tommy DeVito has a practice squad helmet on. But we do we do we also know that it's a one hundred percent chance that Dable, offensive core uh, Kafka, any of these guys are back next year. Also, no, they they're for the same reason they're not going to. I, I think there's a ninety nine. I think there's a ninety nine point nine nine percent chance that Dable is back here next year. Right, but Kafka, you know, it's his well, offense. It's not. But my thing is, if we're not worrying about draft status and everything for you know this week and next week, we also can't worry about Tyrod Taylor's not going to be here next year either. No, no, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, um, there is an actual benefit to getting reps in Tommy DeVito, whereas there's no benefit. There's no. This is like. Argument C here. Well, well, just, let's, just saying, let's, like let's, this let's, in the in the hierarchy. Okay, the hierarchy of arguments is it's for the best interest. If you're trying to win, for me, the best way to prepare is to get the most healthy guy ready. Especially since yes, Tyrod Taylor is better, and the offense is better when Tyrod Taylor's there. But we're not talking thirty points versus ten points. We're talking like at best sixteen points versus ten points. It's a very negligible difference in how the offense operates. Right? Do we agree on that? I think the offense would be. I think the offense is more I, than negligibly better. I don't think this offense scores twenty points with Tyrod Taylor. Do you? Because they haven't. They haven't the, yet. The, the, the scoring may not necessarily, but the offense will run better. I mean, yes, I, I, yes, better. But at the end of the day, the results and how much better it's negligible. It's not massive. We're not talking. Uh, 25 points versus 10 points here. We're talking 16 or 10 points at the end of the day. When when you're a coach and you're trying to win, like you said, when you're trying to win, you are talking about scoring points. But also, it, it, even when our margins are... Look, that New England game, that Jet game, it wasn't only just about scoring points because both offenses weren't doing anything. It was field positions important. You know, there's a much better chance that... Tyrod Taylor is going to get a first down than Tommy that, DeVito. That Jets maybe, game was – wait, hang on, hang on. That Jets game was the one that Tyrod started and Tommy had no first-team reps for? Yeah, but okay, so the New England game. Yeah, uh, uh, Look, man, I'm, I made the argument last week that it's not like the Giants were blowing the shit out of them. New England missed a field goal that otherwise would have tied the game. I'm not, I'm not saying point, anything good. But my point of that, my point of that is we are not playing against games where – we're not playing Miamis of the world. Where you know you need to score thirty points to win. We're we, we were playing okay. teams that you know. I see what you're saying. The margin of victory. Yeah. is, You know it might be. I I agree, but that's that's with the both of them at full health. I think the reality of the situation is when you put Tyrod in, he's not completing the game, and that's where that's to me that's where, as the coach, if you're trying to win, the best move is to not put Tyrod in at least not the first two weeks he's coming back from injury. That's oh, all. Yes, that's all I'm saying. Do you think this team – we know I, I just might think about what coaches do, but if you – are you going full board to do whatever I can to make the playoffs still? Absolutely not. Right. Do you, th- do you think this team realistically has a shot? Well, full board absolutely going balls to the wall to make the playoffs would have seen Dexter Lawrence play last week, right? Mm-hmm. So, That's true. Um, no, I don't think this team is doing that. I think this team – I think the coaches are doing everything they can to get the – 
roster that they think is best to be available on Sunday to play at 100%. And if that means a win, that's what they're going to aim for But for those 60 minutes. They're not going to be pulling people because they're winning and they want a better draft status. I really no, don't no, think no, that's no. going to happen. Um, but that being said, I think the decision from Monday through Saturday on who dis- who is going to be available on Sunday is not going to be a balls-to-the-wall playoff push. That's going to be... Let's be smart about this. And the, way, and the way that they treated the players in the summer with giving them all kinds of rest days and lighter days and, you know, whatever. I, I think this coaching staff is all about that shit. So, um, okay. to be honest, though, going forward, neither of these things matter. I just think that it's it doesn't do Tommy DeVito any good. And he is the one guy who will be here next year. It doesn't do him any good to not get reps and then wind up in a game that he's not prepared for again. Because this competition level is, like you said, above his head this year. So you have to get him ready. And if if he's going to be in the game. I, I'm not convinced that Tyrod can fucking complete a game this year. Sorry. Listen, listen, between me and you, since no one else is listening, they're not making the playoffs. No, I, that's, you, yes. You know I'm always in the, I don't get upset with losses because I want draft picks this time of the year anyway. So, you know. I am. I am. If they decide to play Tommy DeVito and they lose, or they decide to play Tyrod Taylor and they lose. Oh, I'm not. I'm not angry about any of this. No, I mean, I'm. I, this is big. This season is over. The fact that we even are in in one graphic saying in the hunt talks about how pathetic the NFC is at the bottom level than anything that we are or something. But hmm. it does. It does. Actually, to me, the fact that we are, quote, in the hunt at 4-8 and eight is more ammunition to be mad at how awful Tyrod Taylor is. Not Irrelevant to this conversation about Tyrod or Tommy, just in general, for losing the Bills and Jets games. <laughs> because we'd be 6-6 six and six at this point. Not that we'd be any closer to actually being a playoff team, but it's just, well, it'd be, like it'd be less embarrassing. It'd be the year, two years ago where it's like, we know we're not a playoff team, but we're, we are excited to be in a playoff race would be the exact same situation right you said something more interesting before about mike kafka potentially not being here uh ryan ryan dunleavy broke news so it was kind of a shock to the entire giants beat which frustrates me i don't like ever hearing that shit but it was a shock to the giants beat that jay glazer reported that the situation between wink martindale and brian dable was in a not just bad place but like a it's been in a bad place for a while, and it's not getting better. There's a chance that they don't end the season together, which is about as bad as it gets. Um, I liked it a lot better when Joe Judge was punching Mark Colombo or whatever happened with that. <laughs> yeah, let's just get it out there. But but so the beat, the beat. Oh, we knew that they were kind of different on the side. Like I am so sick of hearing about how different they are on the sidelines. I could not think of a solitary well, thing I give less of a fuck about. Well, about first the, of all. First of all, this is not 1953 where the you know the media is on the plane with the coaches and the and the players and they know every little secret. And I understand that, co- but but Jay Glazer, but Jay Glazer, Jay Glazer's responsibility spreads among 32 teams. They have there are first of all we have a ton of beat writers like credited beat writers whose sole focus is one team. How did nobody see this shit? And I'm so frustrated hearing about how different their demeanor is on the sideline. Like, that is, like, the end-all, be-all indicator of how different they are. And it's not. It's just fucking not. I'm sorry. It's three of a – it's 
three hours out of 166 in a week. Now, if the relationship is what it is, then that's fine. I, I'm not debating that. I just it feels like our beat has absolutely nothing to cling to with this story. Jay Glazer has all of the cards of this story, and they're just trying to throw shit at the wall. Nevertheless, Ryan Dunleavy said on something I don't know what uh, that in his opinion he would not be shocked if any of the coordinators are here next or are gone next year. It, and when you think about it, that makes sense. First of all, Thomas McGahey shouldn't have been here this year or last year. It's just he's kind of just skirting by on legacy and the fact that nobody cares about special teams. If we've seen a single year where special teams mistakes were a goddamn mistake, it was definitely this year. Um, I'm not going to launch into well, that again, but I mean well, it was evident. Let's, let's just use numbers. I mean, sure. just you know how many coaching staffs are majority together after two years when they don't make the playoffs in one of those two years there's always going to be changes absolutely so especially a year this bad yeah every of course whether it's their fault or not you know somebody has to be accountable for it and you can't just saying well it was the injuries that's not going to cut it for the fans the media the owners the other players that somebody's they want to scalp but you know to me the bottom line is (laughs) they can hate each other all they want sure as soon as the head coach decides, I can't work with you anymore, make the move and make the move immediately. But this whole thing, well, they haven't gotten along for two years. Well, they work together and they have been working together. If, if they just don't like each other, but they can work together, that's fine. I mean, example, Mike and the Mad Dog. How many years did they not speak to each other? But they did a show for four hours a day. They talked to each other for four hours a day. I mean, me and Grump, we hate each other. We never talk to each other outside the show. But we do this show every week. It's, you know, but as soon as it's to a point where, you know, they, he is disobeying what he wants. Or he is doing things behind his back. Or he is launching a rebellion behind there. And he decides, I don't trust this guy anymore. I can't work with him. Launch him. If it's not, if he could, if he could deal with the personality conflict and the pettiness and stuff, and he's doing what I ask him to do, I don't care if they hate each other. Just keep doing, do what you do. If you don't get the results or you can't work with him, then you launch it. But until then, this really kind of is a non-story, in my opinion. Well, here's here's the thing that sucks for me. Hang on, let's. No, actually, let's stick. Let's stick with Wink for a minute. Here's okay. what really stinks. I I have no like mega love for Wink Martindale. It's not like I, I super like defense and I love his philosophy, especially in today's NFL where everything caters to the offense. I love the idea of a defense that makes the offense have to change what they want to do in response to what they think the defense is doing. I love that. I love bringing the game to the offense. I like that. But I'm not going to sit here and cry if Wink Martindale gets a head coaching job or leaves for whatever. Here's what actually sucks about that. We went way the fuck out of our way to get players for Wink Martindale's defense in this draft. Deontay Banks is a Wink Martindale guy. So is Trey Hawkins. I mean, these were not mistake picks. They were pick- We went out of our way to get Bobby Okereke for this defense. These were not mistakes. Well, one or two things happened. One... If they've been not getting along for a long time, Dable has learned to work with him and likes what he does and is a you know working with the front office to get the guys he needs. Or there's a bigger issue. There's a bigger issue 
that the front office and ownership imposed Wink Martindale on him and is going to keep him here because mm. they like him in spite of what the head coach thinks. And if that's the case, we have major problems, my, much bigger problems. My actual – I don't think that that's the case. I don't think so either. But I, I think – yeah. They, made these, they did all these moves in the offseason to enhance an, an off, a, a specific defense that he has, I think, probably favors situation A. But there's a eh, possibility with situation B too. So I I think the reality of the situation is that they don't get along on a personal level. And I think on a football level, they mostly get along. Uh, and I understand the cause of friction. That, you know, if you don't get along with somebody personally, but you're winning, it's kind of easy to just get over that. You just stay on my side. I'll handle my stuff. You handle your stuff. And we'll win games. Once you start losing is when it not gets fun. And the real kicker, I think, is that Xavier McKinney became the – mouthpiece for what goes on in the defensive room with the doors closed in my opinion and the perspective from Dable is that Xavier McKinney is a player he is he can be disciplined he can be jettisoned he can be replaced Wink Martindale is the adult and if Wink Martindale is sowing this kind of disconsent discontent on that side of the ball that is not functionally helping the room I don't know that that's happening I don't know that and I'm not going to make that accusation I do think that that might have at least been for a little while the thought that that was what was happening. I would 100% agree if it was somebody other than Xavier McKinney because he this is the second coach he's done this with. He is borderlining on becoming labeled a malcontent. I'm not saying that Wink Martindale is telling Xavier McKinney to say anything. I'm saying Xavier McKinney is the – uh, loose cannon that is just right. repeating what is being said behind closed doors. That's right. what I think is happening, or or I think might have happened at one point. And because he's spoken up twice this year, where he said stupid shit, that might have been you know the let's not keep blaming the defense was the first one a couple weeks back, which you know speaks to the Brian Dables always mfing his coaches, his players, etc. Because he gets on them because he wants everyone well, to play perfect. Self, that's a self defense mechanism for yourself too. Sure. Um, I just think that that's possible. At the end of the day, I think the more inter- um, who was it? Jordan Renan when he was being interviewed by Bobby Skinner, which I thought was a great conversation. By the way, I thought that was very very interesting. Um, Jordan did not reveal anything that he knows because he doesn't know anything because none of the beat writers know anything about this. For what it's worth, they're all making their best guesses based on what they do know and this story. But what he revealed more that I thought was interesting was John Mara's role in all this as the hands-off owner who wants to keep a happy family, he is usually the mediator in these situations that gets everyone on the table and resolves issues or decides what's or helps decide what is the best course. Like, if the best course of action is for Wink Martindale to leave, then that's the best course of action. But he is going to be the guy who tries to bridge the gap here. And ultimately, to me, I do think that the root cause of all of this is just losing. I think it's losing, and it's losing because the offense isn't good. That really is the root of everything. And I think that winning will solve it. (laughs) You're trying to assign blame for something that really isn't without sounding excusey. Because it's very easy to say, well, injuries, but it is a fact. But people think it's an excuse. So you can't say – you can't be perceived as making excuses. So you have to try to 
create your own fact pattern when the reality is that the, the vast majority of the reason why this team is four and whatever we are and, you know, closer to the number one pick than we are really realistically a draft pick is that <laughs> we're on our third string quarterback. Our franchise left tackle was out for a good part of the year. Our franchise running back was out. You know, we traded away our, you know, our, and as a result of all this, we traded away one of our cornerstones, uh, um, defensive tackles. And, you know, so, but you can't say that, oh, well, there's injuries because you, you come across as making excuses and being a baby and all that. And you can't say that. So, I. <laughs> well, here's here's what I will say from from Wink Martindale's perspective. Brian Dable and Joe Shane are quite literally attached to the hip. They are a package deal. They came here together. That was always going to be the case. There was never a doubt in my mind Brian Dable was going to be the head coach when Joe Shane was a GM. Um, so... To me, this came down to a flip of a coin on what was most important, whether it was getting depth at offensive line or getting weapons for Daniel Jones. What was most important? They decided that the answer to that was skill position. And the worst thing that could have happened when you make that decision absolutely happened. So while whether or not it's a Brian Dable decision that they did that, the fact that Joe Shane and Brian Dable are attached at the hip means it's kind of a joint decision from Wink, Wink Martindale's perspective. And I, I can respect that perspective. That makes sense to me. And I can understand the frustration because I had the exact same concerns going into this. I didn't know that it was really necessary for us to throw Darren Waller, Jalen Hyatt, Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, Cole Beasley, all of these skill position signings and not a lot of backup depth on the offensive line. Seemed a little careless to me. And it bit thing. us. Wink knew what he was getting into when he came here. He knew this was going to be the organizational structure. He knew that they were coming in as a package deal in the beginning, right? So to be surprised by this is the way it was going to go is seems a little naive. Surprised is not really the word. I would say frustrated is the word. I don't think he was shocked by this, but I do think that he was frustrated with the dynamic that he got. I don't know that he knew that they would make that kind of decision where his unit is like ranked super high in the league and would be ranked even higher if it had an offense worth a shit. And he's, get, he's getting cursed out on the sideline because his unit's not perfect. But on the other side of the ball, you have a unit that can't even move the fucking ball. Right. So I get that's, it. That is – then that, that to me is a character flaw for Wink because he's not understanding why. I mean if, if Daniel Jones was – you know, I don't know, one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. And this offense just sucks. And Nathaniel Hackett is the offensive coordinator. And that's a reason to be frustrated. Like, you didn't make this thing any better. The reasons why the offense is what it is is because what happened to this offense. I mean, they they put weapons in to make this offense better. On paper, we were all like, oh, Daniel Jones has toys to play with. Oh, we got a starting center now. We are still working on building this offensive line. So, you know, when when things happen, you know, if it's the fact that, you know, Andrew Thomas took a major step back this year and just wasn't good this year, and Daniel Jones regressed on his own, or, you know, that's one thing, but that's not why it would happen. He, he unfortunately has a unit on the other side of the team that is not 100%, will never be 100% this year, and as a result – is going to struggle. I don't see how that becomes a 
us versus them thing. I can get the frustration of I got to live through this. I mean, we all as giant fans and doing this show and all the other guys do the show, we're all suffering through this year. But I am not like you got to fire Mike Caffey because his offense sucks. No, <laughs> it's this is the way it is. These are the way the cards were dealt. So, well, I think Mike Caff. I want to transition to Mike Kafka because I think that sure. that's pretty interesting. But before we do that, I do want to say one thing. I was tagged in something by Ross C, who is a who is a mm-hmm. avid listener of the show, Friend and I, the show. I, I super appreciate you, Ross. I I listened to your to the thing that you tagged me in. I don't know who John Middlecoff is really, um, but I will say that I do think. I think that the story is legit. I do think that there is serious beef between the two coaches. I would never I, – I don't think Jay Glazer says things. I think he reports facts. End of story. He knows that that's true. And I, I'm going to go with it. What John Middlecoff said sounded like he might know a player in the locker room personally. Heard anecdotal stuff where maybe that – maybe it's Xavier McKinney. Maybe it's not. I'm just saying. Let's pretend it's Xavier McKinney. They're buddies. He's going to say a bunch of shit. Yes, I think Brian Dable's a clown, blah, blah, blah. And then he extrapolates it to the entire defense. It just feels like he's piling on a major national story in the NFL with some anecdotal thing and making it sound like it's bigger than it is. I I, I just – I don't know who the fuck this guy is. Nobody else is corroborating any of this. I'm not saying it's full of shit. I'm filing it for later. I'm just not going to keep it on my desk. That's how I feel about it. Here's the bottom line. Brian Dable has every opportunity and every right based upon where we are in the season, what the record is. If he can't work with somebody, he can fire him. There have been offensive and defensive and head coaches that have been run already this season. If he can't work with him, he'd be gone. He is under no obligation to keep him unless he was told by Mara himself, you have to keep him this year, which I highly tend to doubt. I if, it's re- if it's really a problem, he'd be gone. Brian Dable, I think, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, is still the most important voice in this organization right now. Yes, I think And right. if he says, you know, uh, Joe, you know, and everybody, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This is beyond my control. This is an unsalvageable situation. It is impacting my ability to be the head coach of this team. I need to make a change. They would all sign off on it, and away we go. Hasn't happened yet. This is not this is not also year one where it's like, well, maybe it gets better or something. They've been together now 25 games, 26 games, two off seasons. Since last February. Yeah, so two off seasons. Um I don't actions speak louder than words and he's still there. I think the more interesting one, because I think that one's kind of on a train track and it's going to go where it's going to go. The more interesting one for me is Kafka. Um, on the one hand, you had the offense taken away from him. Uh, also on that hand, I don't know. I've been very critical on how slow they've been to adjust on offense to what the field has shown them what their game plan has shown them. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't know that a second-year offensive coordinator who's 36 years old or 37 years old or whatever 
having to deal with the situation he had to deal with. The offense was taken away from him right before the Buffalo game, so it's not like it was week well, three. Well, you let me ask I mean? you. It- it's been taken away. Is it? Does he have it back yet, or is it still? We don't know, and the fact that we don't know that tells me no. Mm-hmm. I I, also, I don't know. We know this is also a coaching staff and a coach that plays things pretty close to the hip, so you but, may not know that it comes back. My question to you is: A, do you think he's gone at the end of the year? B, or A A one, do you think he's fired? A two, do you think he leaves for a head coaching job? And B, uh, do you think he should be? sent off or do you think he deserves to stay I don't think he deserves to go I think I think whatever of our gripes are with whatever you said pales in comparison to the hand he's been dealt he wasn't dealt with losing the quarterback from the year and still having Jameis Winston as his backup or something we are dealing with a pretty unique situation in the NFL I mean how many undrafted rookie quarterbacks that are third string to start a season, how many of them have started NFL games in the last 20 years? Not many. So, you know, and also let's compound that also with the fact for the longest time, he did not have his all pro left tackle. He did not have his superstar running back. The, 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 the jewel of the off season in the, on this team, Dave Waller, has been MIA and I haven't heard a word about when he's coming back. No, these are a lot of things that, you know, are up against the wall for you. And I don't think this is an organization that plays the scapegoat game. Others are where I'm going to throw one to the, uh, I'm going to throw this to the, uh, to the lions, this guy, that's not the Jack Del Rio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what Caroline is doing. All, you know, all the changes, you know, they've had what? How many head coaches and things since Tep- Tepper's been in? Um, didn't they Didn't Owen? they fire the offensive coordinator already? Who, Carolina? Yeah. Fire the coach. Well, they fired the coach. That's right. Frank Reich is out. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not, that's not us. That's not our style. And that's one of the things you, the Giants can say, maybe to a fault, have that kind of class or something. So, I think... If he's gone next year, it will not be because he's pushed out or nudged out. I think – I mean I, I still think he's got value to be a head coach maybe at a smaller college or something. I don't think you take a lateral job. I can't see a team that's like, okay, you know, we are – you know, we are this – we are an offensive coordinator away from the Super Bowl. That's our guy. I don't think that's going to be him, but you know something – if a what's an SEC equivalent? I don't know. Vanderbilt needs a head coach, or you know, someone like that, like a you know, Northwestern, which we thought he might be going to, a school like that. I think he still is an attractive quality. I mean, we've seen we've seen guys like Rob Sale that we were like, eh, eh, in in, in the NFL, but you know. Major colleges think these have a rung above, and they they bring them in. So, I would say if that market's out there and he's truly trying to move up his, you know, career path, he would go on his own. But I do not think he'd be run. I would not be shocked if he's not here next year, and I think it's a fifty-fifty split whether he gets fired or 
um, quits for another job or whatever. I, I think it's 50-50. And I, I don't think he would be fired so much as it would just be like, let not that he's a scapegoat, but more so like we don't have time to be developing your offensive coordinator. Like you need to win. Show me you can win. Then you can go pick an offensive coordinator to develop. Get yourself, you know what I mean? I could see that being the decision that has him go. I don't, I don't think that Mike Kafka is so good that this is like an unmissable opportunity to develop the next big thing or anything like that. I could see that. I'm not sure that it happens. I could see him getting an offer where he goes on an interview and all of a sudden he's hired. I don't know where that is. But I, I don't know. I, I think there's a 50% chance that he's gone. Yeah, here's the thing. For the other thing, from my standpoint, of why you don't just get rid of him as a scapegoat or anything, is that you want to build continuality. You want to kind of, you know, you know, whether it's Daniel Jones being in an offense finally for the first time, the third year in a row in his career, whether you really want to keep developing Tommy DeVito, maybe you want to, you know, whoever knows who the the backup quarterback on this team will be next year. You know, you want to keep that offensive line. You want to get some sort of consistent consistency with them. Uh, there's not been enough that I can blame on him to say, let's move forward and start fresh. Because if you're starting fresh, we're once again in the same spot of we're spending the whole offseason installing something new. And uh, I'm not ready to do that just yet for a reason being, well, everybody was hurt. I, I totally agree. I don't want to spend an offseason installing new stuff. So I, I get it. Um, but that that's going to do it for the bye week Blues episode of Just Giants. We will see you on Friday morning for our regular Giants preview game against the Green Bay Packers, which I guess is going to stay as a Monday night game. It is. So we will see you all there on Friday morning on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and, of course, YouTube. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at football underscore grump at the cranky fan and we will see you all next time until then go giants, go giants.